You are listening to Spacetime Mind, a podcast by two philosophy professors, Richard Brown and Pete Mandick, who talk about philosophy, science, and all sorts of other stuff. Please be advised that this podcast contains strong language and abstract ideas not suitable for all intelligent life forms. Dana, it's Peter. There is no Dana. There is only Zoo. Oh, Zuli, you nut now. Come on. Come on, I want to talk to Dana. Dana. Just relax. Come on. Dana. Dana. Can I talk to Dana? There is no Dana, only Zoo. What a lovely singing voice you must have. Somehow, somehow, do a Jedi mind meld. Hi, this is Pete Mandick from William Patterson University. In this episode, we discuss supernature, a hypothetical realm that is in some sense above and beyond the world accessible to the natural sciences. In part one of the episode, Richard Brown and I are joined by science fiction author Roger Williams. In part two, we are joined by philosopher Greg Caruso, who you may remember from episode seven on free will. If you notice anything strange occurring while you listen to this episode, please let us know about it at spacetimemind.com. It may just have been a coincidence, or it may, just possibly, have been an intrusion into our world from the world of Supernatural. With me, as always, is old what's-his-name, Richard Brown, that's me, <laughs> from CUNY LaGuardia. <laughs> and we have a super special guest. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I'm kind of like really, really, really excited about this. A little bit nervous, too. Roger Williams, <laughs> the author of The Metamorphosis of Prime Intellect, among other things. Thank you very much for joining us, Roger. It's my pleasure. So, hey, Roger, um, how uh, old is your parent? Uh, he is, we had figured this out, uh, I think about 45. Wow. Well, so you've had him for a long time. Yeah, we, we have had him for a long time, but before we bought him, he had several other owners that we know about. Okay. Uh, so we've added that up, and uh, yeah, uh, Cookie is an Amazon, so he has a potentially fairly long life. Right. I know. And my mom, mom breeds bur- parrots, so I, I know yeah. they live a long time, and they can be very loud. <laughs> yes. Uh, we have Cookie. We have four peach front conures, which we uh, did breed for a while. We never actually got to the point of breeding them for sale, but they're the descendants of our original pair. And uh, we have a lovebird that my wife rescued after... Uh, Hurricane Katrina, uh, she was discovered on a power line in Gulfport. (laughs) The rescue people had no idea what to do with her. So So you like birds. Yeah. Birds, they're really my wife's conceit more than mine, but I've certainly gotten attached to them living with with her. yeah, we, we have a few hobbies. You might notice the mineral collection behind me. I was was wondering what that was. Yeah, that that's our uh, our semi-precious gemstone and mineral collection. Um, the uh, took us about ten years to build that up by trading. And uh, uh, there's an interesting thing there too, since you all are philosophers, you might be a little more open to it than some of my uh, audience in the more STEM-oriented corrosion. Uh, where I hung around with uh, New Age people for a number of years back then, because they're a big part of your uh, market if you are selling gemstones and um, so uh, I uh, actually formulated some interesting theories about uh, the universe being a computer uh, that go beyond just uh, being a bunch of big dumb particles in certain situations but uh, I basically think that there's two possible ways the universe works it's one of those we may never be able to tell which, and both of them are very highly constrained as to what they make possible. Mm-hmm. So, 
if that's intriguing, we can talk about that sometime. Yeah, no, that is intriguing. <laughs> well, what do you mean by a, by computer? So well, that's one thing I was uh, wondering about when you were talking about this. So um, because I mean, you said a universal Turing machine, so I, I understand what what, you, what that means. But as far as I understand, a universal Turing machine is an abstract mathematical object. So is, uh, is the claim that the universe is an abstract mathematical object, or is the claim that physical things are somehow instantiating or comprise a? a it's it's that the universe is made of information. Okay, and so it's abstract, and it's not. Yes, uh, the universe. The, the one thing we can say, uh, basically, I, I consider the statement the universe is made of information to be uh, pretty much equivalent to "I think, therefore I am." Uh, the we cannot tell for sure whether the universe is particles or whether it is a much more abstract lie that has been constructed to make us think that it is made of particles, but we can say that it contains information. That information is processed, and the processing of that information is what we call time. So. Uh, let me you, you, let me throw an objection at you, Roger, and see if you think of it. I've I've always heard the um, the proposal that that anything is made out of information as akin to saying that something is made out of inches. And what I mean by that is that inform information, at least in in certain senses of information, like the Shannon Weaver sense of information, it's a, it's a kind of a measure, just as inches are a measurement of length. And you could make a bridge out of a certain number of inches of steel, but it, it wouldn't make sense to say that you made the bridge out of inches. You made it out of steel. And well, similarly, it wouldn't make sense to say that... That's very, that's very much misunderstanding information theory, then. Uh, information is a thing that is measured. Uh, bits are not uh, inches. Bits are how you measure information. Uh, information itself is a, is, is a thing that has a finite size and... Uh, it requires certain uh, also measurable actions to deal with it in certain ways. Uh, information is a more fundamental. You, you can say that the universe is made of particles and you can express the state of that mass of particles with a certain number of bits of information. Or you could say that the universe is a computer containing a certain number of bits of information and the program that it is running is doing a simulation of all those particles. And living as an expression of particles in that universe, what difference is there? Uh, but but let's, let's slow down a little bit. So like one way of thinking about information is it's a reduction of, of uh, uncertainty. Does that make does that apply here, or do you have something else in mind? Oh, I mean, information is is what it is. There's the it, it's. Are we talking classical information, or qubits, or or regular? No, we're talking we're talking Claude Shannon. What is a bit? How much can you transmit over an information channel? How much can you store in a uh, right. so finite size so memory? Store? Four bits of information. You only need two bits, right? If you want to say where the four things are, you need to know whether you're the front. Right. Or the back, and. Or and yeah, I mean, you can basically take the uh, all right. The, the universe is finite. the The universe, has, the observable universe, has a finite uh, horizon. It contains a finite number of particles, and because you can only observe those particles to a certain resolution because of the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, you can take for each of those particles and say that there are a finite number of discrete positions that it can occupy within the space of that universe. Uh, you can then take the log base 2 of that number of positions. That's the number of bits that it takes to represent that particle. It turns out to be about 220 bits for an electron and about 330 for a proton. But uh, that's I mean, right. But so but the, the bits are measuring the proton, or are they that is the proton is bits. I, I mean, which one? No, that that is if you were going to build a computer to do what the universe does, that is the size of the memory store that you would right. need in order to do the same thing. But but let, let's take look look at a simple example. So this, say we take something, we partition it into uh, a space of uh, outcomes, like a, a coin flip. And you you learn that the coin that I've just flipped has come up heads, uh, and and in so learning, uh, a, 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 an amount of information has been trans transmitted to you, or you've acquired an amount of information, right? I mean, the information is there whether he acquired, it, I but, guess, is what. It is. But what yeah. in this in this <laughs> example, the 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 example of the coin flip, what is the information? One option of what is the information is that the the head is facing up instead of down. Well, assuming that you've defined uh, heads or tails as one or the other, it's a zero or a one. Uh, I mean, well, I'm not, 
I'm not sure that I'm not sure I understand. It is. I'm not sure I understand the answer, but like I know what a coin is, and I know what it is to be heads or, or tails. And in this particular example, the the the, in, the there being this amount of information is something that depends on the coin. It depends on the coin having a head, and the head is facing up. Well, so, it depends on the representational model that you are embedding that within. If if you're saying the entire universe is this coin, and it has two states, heads or tails, right. that's one bit. That's one bit of information. Uh, the state of that coin is the entire uh, the system in that case. Now, if you're saying that this coin is being simulated within a video game, and there is a picture on one side of it and a different picture on the other side of it. It, then you're going to need a computer with more than one bit of memory store to store all of that, but the result of the coin flip itself is still one bit. Once you've used your other bits to define what the coin is and what you're doing with terms of flipping, the end result of the toss, the information that you transmit, is either heads or tails. Those are the only two possibilities, and you're going to tell me which one it is. That's one bit of information. Right, right, right. But in, in this example, what we're doing is we're imposing a, a partitioning on this physical thing, um, and what information there is depends on the physical thing. The physical thing is the coin, or the coin oriented in three space, and the head is oriented one way versus another way. Those, the, so those are the more basic things. Those are things that are more basic than the information. And Actually, those, well, the, the, those things are necessary in order to put the coin toss itself in context, but that's all you're doing is you're designing a video game. Uh, the you can do that at different levels with different amounts of, of storage and different amounts of resolution and all, but this is something that has been a fundamental thing to me ever since I started playing with computers when I was 14 and computers had 16k of RAM and you certainly knew information was a real thing because you could put more of it in a computer with 32k of RAM than you could in one with 16k and yeah. it was very noticeable so uh, to say uh, in any computer the bits you know, I mean, if you, you draw a drag a byte 8 bits at random out of a computer uh, it can be the number 32 it can be a space if it's part of an ASCII string uh, if it's the number 32, it, there's no tell. What number is that? That all depends on other things that you have defined within the model. Right. But, but assuming that you have done that, then any particular bit is the answer to a question that has only two possible answers. Right. Right. But, no, I, but, I think everyone get understands that. But I guess what maybe what Pete's and I, I mean I don't know why uh, which side I'm on right now, but um, I'm just trying to figure out what you guys are arguing about. So. One way that I'm hearing what you guys are having this discussion about is that, uh, so on the one hand, you might think that the stuff that you're saying sounds like the way that you use information to represent things, but that the things are out there, and then you try to, you have to define some stuff, embed them in the context, uh, say what, what the number stands for, what's a, what's a zero state, what's a one state, what the transitions between the states are. That looks like all stuff that someone has to do where the stuff is just out there. But then on the other hand, I thought what you were saying was that the information is just out there independently of all this definition stuff and um, what, what context it's in. If the universe just is information, then I guess it's not depending on someone defining what, what state well, it is. Well, it's, it's, information. it's information and it's information processing. If it was just information with no processing, it would be like a painting. It would be static. Uh, basically, you know, the, the way that I look at it, the universe at any given instant is a great big photograph of itself. It contains a certain number of bits of information. We call that U of T. Mm -hmm. And in order to make time flow, something processes that information. A particle is here, ends up here because of its velocity. That, that's processing. Something took the original position of that particle, said it has a position, it has a velocity, we're going to iterate it over an interval of time, t plus 1, and this is where it will be then as a result of that. Uh, in addition, we might... Uh, well, are we doing, like, is it t you know, plus dt? Should it, I mean, is, are we worrying about stuff like that, or no? Well, in my, in, in my cosmology, everything is finite. Oh. I had, a, I had an well, interesting... People love your cosmology. <laughs> yeah. I, I had like an interesting part. argument with a mathematician on Metafilter about that, in fact, because he couldn't believe that that was my worldview, but it's like I told him, you know, I've never seen an infinity. I've yeah, but actually, what if, what if I told you that you had seen an infinity? You just didn't recognize it as such. I mean, 
I think the diagonal of a unit triangle is an infinity. Um, yeah, why is that infinity? Every time I've zoomed in on it, it's eventually resolved into pixels, though. That's right. But that's maybe maybe <laughs> um, a, a problem with your ability to res resolve in, not with the continuum. Yeah, it's that's getting above my pay grade. Well, you know, but, the, but, just uh, to, but to keep it in the pay grade, one thing that's interesting, though, is that I've heard rumors that some physicists think that possibly this could be an empirical prediction of uh, whether or not we do l live in a computed world or not, or simulation or something like yeah. that. Because and, and in all honesty, so, certain grain that you can't go below, and that seems much more computational than. Yeah, and, and in all honesty, at the moment, I don't think there is any actual evidence that time is quantized. Right. But, uh, but I would expect it to be just because that's the way. If, if I was given the contract to build the universe, that's the way I would do it. And <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, when I look at you know, I mean, it's like the schemes that are floated. Everything since uh, Copenhagen in the 30s is crazier and crazier as the years yeah. go. You know, well, let we, me ask you this then. So, you, so what do you think of the uh, like black hole information paradox and this idea that information is conserved? Because it sounds like you're this is uh, you're going to be on board with this stuff. I think this is all evidence that the universe is really a simulation, and none of this stuff makes a lick of sense because it was never meant to. Uh, this is this is sort of the the uh, one of the two things of of the two ways that the universe could work. One is that it is a big dumb mass of particles. It's exactly what scientists think that it is. Or strings. Yeah, or ten-dimensional strings, or whatever other craziness they come up with next year. <laughs> but the other is that it is something that has been evolving, possibly non-consciously, but possibly looking for patterns that can be implemented to conserve the information storage and processing necessary to get a more and more advanced model. And if you think of this going on, even without conscious intervention for billions of years, uh, we might eventually end up with a stupid but very capable sublayer that is abstracting out things like minds and organs and bodies, you know, you know, working its way up from fundamental particles to atoms to molecules, organic molecules, cells. It might have noticed patterns that can be, you know, just expressing molecules, simple molecules as individual actors with a small state instead of representing the subatomic particles that make them up saves a huge amount of storage. So I imagine this possibly naturally evolved system that is looking for ways to make things more efficient and over the course of time has made the universe so abstract that even something like a mind is a data structure that can be surreptitiously copied and instantiated separately from the story the universe is supposed to be telling us. But there is a story the universe is supposed to be telling us. So you know, if that's your view, if that's the view that's in the background of the of the metamorphosis story of the universe. Oh no, that's you know, how, that's the, not the, in the background. That it's a giant no, that's computer. Not, that's not the, this is this is this is me. This is this is this is haha -ha, real world me. Uh, oh, I see. But I thought you said at the beginning of this that in the in the story that your view was that the universe of the story was a computer. Yes. And it, made out of the story, the story in the, in in the universe, the, the computer in that story. I have a very definite idea how the program is working in that story. But the it universe is, is still a, a computer, though, is what I'm getting yes. at in that story. It's a computer, but it's not doing all this abstraction. It's it's a oh, computer representing a big swarm of dumb particles, and there's a bug in the relatively simple program that is instantiating all these dumb particles. Okay. And in the real you, though, is speculating that possibly it's not so dumb. That right. What, I, what I'm speculating is. there is that the reason you have uh, over the years, thousands and thousands of people, none of whom have anything to gain, uh, saying, I had this really weird experience with the tarot. I had this really weird experience where I saw something that hadn't happened yet. I had this really weird experience where this crazy radionic machine actually seemed to work. And no matter how much they're debunked, you still have people who have, they're not shysters, they're not charlatans, they don't have anything to gain, and the uh, there is enough there to seriously make a person wonder. But there's never enough to prove anything. So my reaction to this when I was having some fairly weird things pop up in my notebooks uh, in those days when I was taking the dare and doing the experiments is that if this stuff is real, if it is not some weird perceptual defect that, sh that all humans share, then it implies that the universe is a very different thing than we think it is because 
in order for these things to happen, I do not believe this is an as yet undiscovered law of physics. There is no hole for an as yet undiscovered law of physics that allows the tarot deck to start answering questions. I mean, and that's just, you know, there's, there is no law, as yet undiscovered law of the universe that allows you to, to, to know that your Aunt Millie died 800 miles away when the phone call has not arrived yet. Right. There, there, there's nothing that permits that. But I can imagine a way the universe is built there, it, that would look a lot like what we observe that allows for that to happen. But if you want to swallow that Kool-Aid, if you want to go down that rabbit hole, it has big implications because it means the universe is lying to us in a radical way a lot. And most of the people who believe those things uh, do not really understand what they are believing about, that, that they are disbelieving in science in such a profound way right. that um, it, it's really almost difficult to, to describe. But I really don't see a third possibility. Well, hey, I don't know if this is a third possibility, but can I just t toss this at you real fast and see what you think? So what, what if you, I mean, there's a view that's out there recently of where people are saying, suggesting that maybe what experience is doing to us is acting kind of like an, a desktop icon works um, so that uh, there's a, what desktop icons do is provide a simple way to, to hide underlying complexity of computational uh, and the computational structures and give user function, functionality so that having um, an icon going to Windows a lot simpler and easier. And of course, there's a lot of stuff going on, computational. And in a sense, I guess you could say the desktop icon is lying by simplifying, but it doesn't seem like a malicious kind of lie. It seems like a user-friendly kind of lie. Well, that's, that's an important point, because in the few areas where you see this taken kind of seriously, the implication is always then drawn that the creator of the system uh, if it actually had one that deliberately created it, must have uh, done it maliciously. It must be like some devil or demon or something. And it could actually be like, is the guy that wrote uh, Doom or Quake evil because he's representing the computer as something other than it is? He's just trying to give you the best experience that he can on a limited budget. Right. And that's what this would be. Uh, so it's not necessarily a bad thing, but the way that I see it is the reason that we would have these phenomenon is that's your starting point, but then like a mainframe computer, uh, it has a security model which is not 100% effective, and so then there are things that can instantiate and sneak around below a certain threshold doing things, sometimes very powerful things, as long as they don't draw the attention of the guardians that are making sure that the story is the way it's supposed to be at the high level. So that would be why you have a convention of dowsers who have been doing their craft their entire lives and are quite convinced that, you know, as all, our, all their customers, that they have a power and you get them all together in front of a bunch of TV cameras and nothing works, which is exactly what happened when James Randi did that. So uh, that, of course, from the scientific side, looks like, well, there's never any evidence for anything. And from that, the skeptical mindset, it looks like a real gross violation of Occam's razor to suggest that all of this stuff is going on in the background. But to me, I don't want to dismiss out of hand the possibility that all of this human experience is complete bullshit. Uh, to me, that is as terrifying as the idea that the universe is telling us all these lies and is really much, something much different than we think it is. Neither of those is a very pleasant thought to me, and I think one of them has to be the case. So I'm always a cheerful person, as you can tell by reading my one novel. <laughs> so... I mean, you know, one one thing that has probably crossed your mind, uh, I just want to get deeper into it, is that um, it seems just so easy to explain away the, the supposed evidence for this this kind of view. That, um, you know, one way of describing the, 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 the evidence is people have these experiences of significance, but the experiences are, are so vague in their context. Uh, I'm sorry, they're so vague in their content, content that... Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's, there's no reason to believe that they're actually... Well, except saying. that they're not. That, that, that's the thing, is that some people take notes. 
And uh, when I floated this idea on corrosion, which of course has a big population of SDEM type uh, readers, uh, the reaction was very hostile. Uh, yeah. And I, I was asked for, you know, I just said, well, I had some weird experiences and I was goaded into providing one. So one of them, and just bear in mind, this is only one. I have several notebooks of uh, experiments I did with divination devices, but I had uh, four tarot readings in a row, which are ten cards that are positioned, uh, where the position is meaningful, uh, come out with eight cards in the same position out of a 78-card deck. And the first thing I said was, uh, this is so unlikely that it should not have happened anywhere in the in the entire history of the universe. If I was sitting here doing tarot readings at the rate of one per second, the chances of it happening in 13 billion years are vanishingly small. And I got 200 comments from people telling me I couldn't do math. And when we finally established that uh, no matter how uh, loose you make the initial starting conditions, it's still pretty damn unlikely, then I was told I can't shuffle cards. Now, <laughs> obviously when I was doing this, I, I wasn't born yesterday, and I did realize that the risk of getting a clump of cards out of the other end of the deck was a real problem, and so I was doing things like salting all ten of the original cards in different places and in different orders into the deck before cutting and shuffling it, uh, and I still got results like that. Now. That proves nothing to anyone but me, but to right. me, it was this is the way these experiences are, is they are personal. In fact, if you read any of the literature uh, from the, uh, the New Age version of the tab how-to books of the day, they would all tell you, you have to do your own magic. You have to do your own experiments. No one can do this for you. You have to... Well, I mean, I guess one of, the problems, one of the problems here is that, because I, I agree with you, and this is... You know, there's an interesting um, uh, correlation here to arguments from um, divine revelation or spiritual experiences in, in religious context, you know. And, you know, some philosophers have worried about this. One, one of the kind of worries is that uh, in order to count as evidence, it should be observable from a kind of third-person perspective. So that what you're, you know, your private experience um, is pretty convincing to you, but when you put it against the regularities in nature and the other kinds of alternative explanations, um, uh, I think I, I think I would be cautious uh, inferring from personal experience to that there's even proof from in my case in my personal case. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I don't regard it as proof, and, right, and this or, is the other thing. This is the other thing that people have trouble wrapping their heads around is is that I very strongly agree with Robert Anton Wilson's perspective that you shouldn't believe in things because beliefs imprison you. No, uh, I, I like I, that. I don't I know tend, who this guy is, but I, I like where this is going. Uh, unfortunately, he died recently. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson. He uh, is uh, widely hated and widely uh, loved at the same, to, in equal measure, almost among the nerds. He's uh, most famous for the Illuminatus trilogy. Yeah, but uh, mm. he's most famous in uh, the circles that I'm talking about more for the Cosmic Trigger series of books, which are uh, his own personal recountings of how. Uh, he developed his worldview and how he maintains it and how it has related to his personal experiences. Um, but his uh, a big thing with him is that you shouldn't believe things uh, because uh, once you believe something, that forms a prison out of which you cannot escape if you get any other evidence that contradicts it. Uh, and he acknowledged that you will have contradictory we're limited, we're finite beings, uh, we live in a very chaotic world, so there will be times when it obviously makes much more sense to assume the universe is a swarm of dumb particles and act accordingly, but then there are other times where that's not as useful and maybe it might be worth taking out the old tarot deck and seeing if it has something to say, because what's the worst? You're just looking at random noise, right? But maybe it's more than that. Uh, it doesn't harm anything. Well, but so you earlier said that you don't think there's a law of physics, though, that is going to give the tarot deck any special significance in indicating the future. So then, so if that's what you think, then what what is the reason for? I mean, is it an emergent thing like second law of thermodynamics? It's not true at the molecular level, but it kind of interesting to pop well, up. Well, it would be, it would be that, about. It would be that the universe is instantiating consciousnesses or minds or at a very high level of computation uh, and able to answer questions. The thing about the tarot is not so much that you use it to predict the future, is that it's a conversation with what appears to be another uh, viewpoint. And sometimes that viewpoint knows things about the future uh, 
more often it knows things about you and the people around you. Um, and so one possibility is that you're suggesting is that you could be talking to like the the, the computational nature of the universe, or is that the un the non-conscious well, pattern it recognition? Be, it, could be an, it could be an instant uh, an instantiation of a conscious uh, entity that is able to control the order in which the cards come out of the deck as long as it doesn't violate the laws of probability too uh, you know, wildly enough to get the attention of the watchers. That well, but the, the sequence you're describing seems like it would, though. Well, but the thing is, it happened in private, and I only have a notebook saying that it happened. So it's not like I did it on TV. Right. And there is a difference. If, if what I'm saying is actually the way the universe works, then that does make a difference because uh, it's just like the watchdogs in a mainframe computer that try to keep hackers out. Uh, they see certain things. Other things get under their radar. And the way you are a successful hacker is by knowing the difference. And yeah, it's as we all know, security vulnerabilities allow you to do really impressive things if you find the right one. Uh, probability weird outs are one of the most impressive results of investigations into magic and, and paranormal, though. Uh, you see less frequently stories of people who have more concrete experiences, but uh, the one that uh, Robert Anton Wilson and a lot of other people like to mention is uh, start paying attention to found coins. Penniomancy. Uh, it's legendary how people who start paying attention to found change start finding a hell of a lot of it and in weird situations and uh, weird uh, like Liberty Nichols and shit like that. It's, you know, uh, Certain things work for certain people. I had really uh, results that caused me to profoundly question my worldview from things like the tarot and the Yi King. For some people, those things don't work, but they get results with things like the Penniomancy experiment. Uh, some people have, yeah. Some people have success with uh, radionic machines. Radionics is a version of sympathetic magic that uses technology for its uh, symbolic set. And they do things like drawing the schematic diagram of the machine on a piece of paper, and that works as the machine. Um, there's a guy named G. Harry Stein, who is an actual rocket scientist. He's one of the uh, more important engineers in the Apollo program, who wrote a little tab self-help book, uh, not self-help, but a how-to book, uh, like Forrest Mims books at Radio Shack and all. It was a little how-to-do projects book on how to do it was called On the Frontiers of Science, and it was all these little projects he had done as his hobby throughout his life, uh, about little things like pyramid power and the wishing amplifier and all, um, and it was about how to do these things to, to see for yourself if there was something there, because he thought there was an as yet undiscovered law of science or something. He was very much an engineer, and he didn't believe this pointed to any flaw in the science that he had been using. He thought there was something there worth discovering that people should maybe be paying attention to and trying out. And he wasn't starting a church or trying to aggrandize himself. He really got nothing but grief for publishing that book because all of the STEM type people he hung out with decided he was a, a fraud or a charlatan. Um, and I happened to mention him the other day in an online forum and the, the skeptic guy on the other end compared him to L. Ron Hubbard. Oh God! <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like that. Just ends the discussion. <laughs> you know? I have to say, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know a lot about these kinds of uh, these other these kinds of things. So I'm learning actually from you about this. But and I, I'm pretty skeptical. I wouldn't go so far as to say I would like denounce it. But I would be. I mean, I, I'd like to see it tied to something in the sciences. I would be. was a haunted clown. Oh, he had a ghost in his hat. The clown always was and always will be. You can count on a haunted 
honest with you. I hate this place, this zoo, this prison, this reality, whatever you want to call it. I can't stand it any longer. It's the smell. If there is such a thing, I feel saturated by it. I can taste your stink. Every time I do, I fear that I've somehow been infected by it. It's repulsive, isn't it? I must get out of here. I must get free. Hi, Pete Mandic here. Before we return to the episode, I have a special request to make of you, the listener of Space Time Mind. The request is this. Please rate us on iTunes. Now, you might be asking yourself, why should I do this? What's in it for me? The answer is quite simple. Rating us on iTunes increases the frequency with which this podcast turns up in searches. And that, dear listener, directly increases the collective intelligence of the human race. Quite frankly, the future is in your hands. Please act wisely and rate us on iTunes. And now, back to the show. Greg D. Crusoe, man. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, so I see we're approaching the time here, but can we... I know there's probably you guys want to refute me, but can we jump to the religion stuff before before Jen gets home and we have to... Let's do. Religion. So, because I know, I mean, I'm, you know, I have, uh, I have issues here because I'm an agnostic about religion. So, um, excuse me, I'm an agnostic about, you know, a creator or a God, God type figure. Not so much agnostic about religion. I guess that's a different question. Um, but I wonder, so, you know, I don't think, I don't think you guys are agnostic. Where by agnostic, I literally mean, I think that it's, it's wrong of us to say that we know or even to say we firmly believe um, one way or the other on this issue at all. Uh, you guys, you, do you think that's too, you, you, you don't have that kind of strong? No, I mean, um, I, I'm an, I would call myself an atheist. Uh, I mean, I think there could be like a type 1, type 2 atheist. I mean, I'd be a type 2 atheist where I sort of just feel like there's no reason for me to believe in a god, uh, and I only embrace active beliefs that I think there are good justifications for, uh, um, versus maybe a type 1 who would say they have, you know, proven there is no god or something. Right. You know, I mostly uh, want to call myself an atheist, but I, I talk to, you know, I know peace, people that are uh, in the clergy and are theologians, and they and they say this stuff, you know, when you really push them. Like, these are pretty sophisticated people, and really push them about their theism. They call themselves theists. Yeah. You ask them what they mean by that, what do they think it is that exists, and it's this really highly abstract stuff that I would describe as something like the, the permanent possibility okay. of, Human just happiness, <laughs> right? If you if you think that God is that it's it's necessarily possible that people can be happy or that that there's such a thing as ethical improvement, just really abstract things. Like, well, I don't want to deny that. <laughs> okay, that sounds okay. See, that doesn't sound like theism to me. I would say that theism but, is 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 the claim that there is a all-powerful, all-knowing, morally perfect creator who loves us and has a plan. That's theism. Yeah, but now you get sophisticated about what counts as love and what counts as having a plan and and what counts as being a creator, and there's some really sophisticated stuff that uh, people who call themselves theists will spout out. Sounds to me like what I would have said was an atheist. You might as well say, like, for you, God is is, uh, the laws of mathematics or or something like that, or, or God just is the property of goodness. Right. This um, is like the, so Spinoza, point, the Spinoza issue comes yeah, up. Yeah, like is Spinoza an atheist or what? Yeah. And at this yeah. point, like, the answer to the question whether I'm an atheist or not depends on who am I talking to. If yeah. if I'm talking to a, a Christian fundamentalist who's just knocked on my front door, um, I'm a Satanist. Please go away. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, other people who ask, I tell them I'm an atheist. And other people I ask, like uh, I, there's a lot of hardcore uh, so-called rationalists. You know, people that they yeah. call themselves rationalists. Uh, yeah. Or, what is that? Like, that really obnoxious name? The, the 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 lights or the what is it? Right. The, uh, the right. Brides. They call oh, them. Good. That's some, Dennis. There's some, there's some Dennis. atheists. Dennis so obnoxious. I swear. Everything I like Dennis. Is there's some there's some atheists that I I say yeah you know I'm not an atheist. Mm. 
I go to church. Well, uh, there was a there was a um, I don't know if it was the one of your competitors, the uh, reasonable reasonably spe uh, speaking podcast or one of those, but they had Neil deGrasse Tyson on. Uh, right actually speaking, that's uh, Massimo Piglio. Yeah, 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 Massimo's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um, we're not competitors with him. We're in a different league. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they had um, Neil deGrasse Tyson right before the Cosmos aired, and you know he was going on to kind of ask, should he call himself an atheist? And I sort of understood his view a little bit. I mean, his view was he doesn't like the term because when he goes around speaking about science and stuff, um, he, he he's an atheist. He's in the sense that he doesn't believe. He's in, you know, an atheist, right? Like he's in a sense in which he just doesn't believe in a god, but he doesn't like the term atheist because it comes with baggage. It comes with these connotations of what an atheist is. It's, of immoral and... and... And maybe even the sense in which people are professional atheists now, like the Dawkins of the world and, and the stuff. The new atheists. Yeah, and I think his thing is, I just want to go and talk about science. Like, I, I mean, just the only the only thing that's new about new atheism is the ignorance of philosophy and the bad attitude that they have. I mean, that really is the only, the new atheism is not new or in any other sense, in my opinion. Uh, well, you should read you should read, uh, and I direct some of your listeners to read the pair of uh, papers I have on the science, religion, and culture uh, journal site. There was a, a, a criticism of uh, Massimo Pigliucci's critique of new atheism by Victor Stanger and, and Pigliucci's reply. Right, Pigliucci's yeah. reply is essentially that, which is new atheism isn't new and in, in in some people point to the tone, but that really isn't as much the issue as much yes, as... Yes, it is. Well, and Pigliucci would I, the, it, There's a guy who wrote a book called God is Not Great. No, 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 but part yeah, of it... Dennett talks about the flying spaghetti monster and ridicules anyone who believes in anything that has spiritual tones to it. That's new. Yeah, well, Pigliucci says tone, but there's there's examples of that tone in the past. I mean, I think the, ma the main thing is his view is a commitment to scientism. It's not, no, but that's, no, that's false, Greg. There's not examples of that kind of tone in the past of on this scale where people no, have the kind of, I mean, yeah, maybe yeah, no, some guy wrote it and it was published posthumously after he died, and he said, yeah, this is bullshit, but not like the way that these guys are saying that uh, if you believe in God, then, you know, it's like child abuse. That's Dawkins. No, um, no, right. If, if, if you are a scientist who believes in God, you should be fired. You can't be a good scientist. Right. These are from the leading figures in science. Now, that's that's new. If When people are, I mean, whether that's true or not, I'm not even talking about, I'm talking about, like, as far as, Tone goes. You don't find stuff like that in the past from well-respected figures. I, think tone, and I, I would, I would consider myself not carrying that tone. I mean, I, no, I, no, yeah, definitely, you don't. Right, right, right. Exactly. In, in terms of like the Five Questions book and the journal, I've been surrounding myself with lots of theologians lately, and uh, and I think it's important, and I think these conversations are interesting, and I think, as Pete pointed out, there's some sophisticated accounts out there. I mean, yeah. I'm looking at all this literature on life after death, and I'm looking at accounts that. Well, drastically different from my Catholic background about what this this concept of life after death looks like, and some of them are quite naturalistic. But you know, I still yeah. think false, but we're talking about in a different way and in a respectful way. Right. So I, I don't personally carry that. That I mean, some people talk about a new new atheism, which is like uh, a kind of post new atheist tone, new, new. much more accepting. Well, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, so that's see, that's why. So I'm an agnostic. I, I mean, an, an agnostic in the sense that not like a Russellian agnostic, because Russell was kind of uh, crazy. I mean, he was agnostic about Zeus. I mean, what? Yeah. yeah, right. So I'm not agnostic about Zeus. I think we, we can rule Zeus out. You know, we can see Mount Olympus is not there, so that's fine. Um, but but I think that there is some positive evidence for the existence of um, something creationy like. Uh, whether it's morally perfect, I don't think there's any good evidence for the moral perfection part. Um, whether you know, basically any kind of any kind of view that tries to treat God like a person, I, I think these people are wrong. Like you know, and they base it on human attributes. So if whatever that we're talking about has to be something so abstract and impersonal, something like that just is like creator of the universe or something like that. So that's you do that's what I'm wait, agnostic wait. about. If you're talking about design, though, you think it's something capable of intentional states. Well, maybe. No, I don't think that. I mean, that's that's a theory about how we design stuff. We have intentional states. I mean, look, who knows what kind of 
stuff there is out there. I, I don't think there's a big person in the sky that designed the universe. But wait, what's and the... I think, I'm sorry, I'm losing track. Uh, describe the thing that you're agnostic about. That there is a timeless, eternal, unchanging creator of the universe uh, that is allegedly morally perfect, supremely rational. Those parts I think there's less evidence for. Although, if you look at math and the structure of the world, it looks pretty elegant and, and pretty rational. So there's some evidence in that direction as well, but I think that, you know, the problem of evil is like the main worry in, obviously, in this area about moral goodness. But I, the thing I'm agnostic about is whether there is something that is the creator of the universe, and, and that I think there's some, there's some evidence for that. What's the evidence? A creator and a first cause. Say again? Is there a difference between a creator and a first cause? Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. First cause. Yeah, so it may simply be, that's right, it may simply be that what I'm agnostic about is that there's a first cause. Um, so that's where you get, you see, you can get real sophisticated and who knows what you're saying. But it, it's like a first cause, you know, because again, to, to make sense of this in terms of simulation, which is a way to get your mind around some of these issues, I think, um, if you have a being outside the simulated world, then in a sense they exist outside of time, they're outside of the temporal structure of the simulated world at least. They're outside the causal system, okay, they can interact with the causal system maybe. Um, those are miracles perhaps. So I'm not saying that's what's going on, I'm just saying we can, I can, you can make sense of a, a creator of the universe that exists outside the temporal structure but yet yeah, somehow interacts with it in important ways. That's what I'm agnostic about. The evidence I think that there is for that is the standard kinds of evidence that you get for design. Um, uh, I don't think they have been explained away. Um, although I think there are counter, countering appeal, explanations that you can appeal to, but I don't think that there's any decisive reason to go for one versus the other, which is really what is a, my uh, higher order agnosticism. That you, I just see both the positions as being sort of likely in different ways. Um, and then the real one that, and this is I think going to bring us to the cool stuff, is the the real thing here is the fine tuning argument, which I it, to me suggests probably the strongest evidence for design. Um, but of course now we have some empirical evidence that maybe will undercut that, so I don't know. But so, so let, let me start with that. I think that we have some, some there, now I will say though that evidence is defeasible, that what I mean, I don't believe that evidence equals knowledge, so I'm not doing E equals K. I think that evidence means, you know, something that would point in a certain direction in the, in the sense that, you know, fingerprints on a knife are evidence that you use the knife even if they could have been planted and they could be defeated later by reasoning or whatever. Evidence is something that taken on its own points you towards a likely hypothesis and you know I think in fact that Greg in your book, you, who is this? It's, I think this is basically William Lake Craig's idea that there's a kind of epistemic principle here which is that if a theory makes the existence of that evidence more likely and if a different theory makes the existence of that same evidence less likely then the evidence should count in favor of the first theory and not in the second but theory. But I, I don't quite get how the the fine-tuning argument is supposed to go. It's um, that there's there's all these different ways that the laws of physics could have turned out. Now, of course, they the laws of physics have turned out in a way that supports um, the existence of Pete Mandic. Pete Mandic is pretty terrific, if you ask me. <laughs> By the way, I'm Pete Mandic. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, therefore, what's the best explanation of it having turned out that way as opposed to some other way? And the best explanation is that there's some not uh, best explanation, but what? So, what? What is that the, evidence well, for? What is that? What is the fact that the universe turned out in this way? Evidence well, for the one possibility is that's just the way it happened. Shit happened. Right. But uh, that's not evidence for that, though. We're, other, at, we're not talking about what's true. We're talking about what counts as evidence. So Wait we're simply saying, like, what does this fact suggest or support? Not like what is real or true. That's a different question. That's what, what I just it, said. What it you could have evidence. You could have evidence that you were the murderer, even if you weren't the murderer. But okay, still, right. so what, on so the evidence, it would point. One, to you. one thing it's evidence for is that um, something made it happen. Whether it be accidental or. <laughs> That's right, right. but or but no, be, but, but whether it be something that has mental states. Or doesn't mental have st mental states? Maybe. Well, no, it's right. not evidence. So it's, suppo that, it's supposed though. to be so, evidence that there's something that wanted Pete Manic to exist. Is that yes. how the design argument is supposed? Richard, what's your take on the multiverse stuff? 
Well, we're going to get to multiple, but first let's just say what the argument's supposed to be. So right. the argument's this. Here's one theory, your theory. It happened accidentally. The odds of that are like it's too silly to even calculate them because it's like so low. Multiverse might change that, of course, but mm -hmm. let's pretend no multiverse. Um, so the, the chances of that happening are like ridiculously low. Now imagine though that there's a creator type out there. What are the chances of it oh, happening this oh, way? Oh, well, wait, 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 wait. Zip, zip. So what no. are the, if, a, if a creator is out there, then the chances of it happening this way are like close to one. If there's no creator, the chances of it happening are close to zero. So now you look at the fact that it happened and you ask what is this evidence for, if you accept the general view that a theory which renders the evidence you have showing up makes it the case that that evidence points towards but that. But wait a minute. Couldn't wait. you run that same no, argument no, I, with I, lottery I, I mean, like, let's say I'm a lottery <laughs> winner. First. <laughs> wait. Right. Okay, okay, go ahead. One at a time there's here. All these, there's all these possibilities. There's, a, there's you know, a Googleplex of possibilities. Whatever one of those happened, it was extraordinarily unlikely. But who, who gives a shit whether the thing that happened had Pete Mandic in it versus just total chaos? Big whoop. Whatever one of them had to happen, it couldn't have been none of them. Right, but we're talking uh, about evidence. We're not talking about yeah, what yeah, happened. Yeah, it doesn't. The mere fact that the thing that happened was really improbable doesn't doesn't lead to. A, a, it a, means a, that the theory that predicts that is that the the evidence doesn't support that theory. So but, look, but, if you and hold on, that, hold on, hold on. So if you are in a murder scene, you go in there, and there's a bloody knife, and there's a body with a knife sticking out of it, and there's you're standing in the corner, and you got blood all over your face, and you have fingerprints which are on the knife, and you're saying to yourself, um, uh, "Oh, someone walks in the room, and they go, you're the murderer. All the evidence points in that direction." Well, you say you were framed, and that's possible. But the question isn't what really happened. It's just like, here's the evidence. What is it evidence for? Well, it's evidence that you're the murderer. But the mere fact that something that happened was improbable isn't yeah. by itself evidence. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, listen, listen. Not it's not the fact that it's improbable that's evidence. It's the thing you have which is evidence. The theories render you having that evidence as improbable. That's the point. The theory so says the you having this evidence is extremely second. unlikely to happen. I have the winning oh, lottery ticket, and that's that's so improbable. What is this evidence for? That it was rigged. It because um, it's the only way, or what? It's the most likely way you. What's it's evidence? Yes. What is wrong? What don't you what get about evidence? What's it for? I have the most improbable. True. Back of the ticket even has the statistics on it. It's one in you know ten trillion or something, and I'm holding it. It's evidence of something. What is it evidence of? Well, that's probably evidence that there's a random process or that resulted in you. Ha I mean, there's a different background assumption. So you need. Yeah, you got to set like up the possibilities in a different way than you. No, than you no, can. you don't. Look, you're no, criticizing the way you're setting up the argument. So go oh, to the. Jesus Christ! No, listen. You guys are being obstinate for no reason. No, no. Listen, no, listen, no, listen. A... Can you listen for a second? Listen, okay. So, in the lottery case, you have a background setup, including a lottery board. Um, uh, a group of agents which enforce the rules, people participating in the system, and so if someone were to say the system is rigged, you could provide evidence that it wasn't rigged. Okay, so you it, you're right. In that case, there's something different that's going on, um, and so the lottery it's not an analogous case. In this case, well, what if I don't say rigged? I say it's destined. Like let's say the three of us are all lottery winners, and we go to a New York City lottery, you know, uh, you know event, you know, with all the previous winners, the likelihood that we would all be winners in the room is astronomically small. Yeah. Is this evidence of providence or something? Well, it might be, but if so what? I mean, Let's you can have evidence for things that are false. So, you know what? I have lots of evidence right now that the Earth is not in motion. I also happen to know that I can overrule that evidence with other kinds of evidence, but, but, but I still have evidence that the Earth is not in motion. Let's, 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 let's talk so, about the murder case, and, and, the, and I think the proper analogy to the, the bringing a creator into it. So in the murder case, what you, what you compare are all the situations in which someone has a knife on their back, 
a knife in their back, and and it's been put there by someone else. Right. Uh, you count up the number of those situations, and you compare them to the situations in which someone has a knife in their back uh, because they slipped and fell, <laughs> and they just landed on a knife. <laughs> and it turns out that there's way more situations in which the knife is in the back by someone's um, design, right. as opposed to uh, by some kind of accident. But but see what we're, what we're not doing is just picking something and and asking of all the other things that could have happened. We're we're describing we're describing that thing uh, plus there's a creator versus all the situations in which there's a thing plus not the creator. That's so right. in order to set the probabilities up to say that it's it's somehow more likely that Pete Mandic was created, we would have to we would have to have all the situations in which there's um, intelligent organisms and they were created compared to all the situations in which there's intelligent organisms and they just arise by accident. And you can't do that. But look, no, they, you don't right, need to do that. that. You don't so need to do that. All you need to do, all you need to do is look <laughs> at the equations from physics <laughs> and point out that unless they are the way that they are, the world doesn't exist at all. Hydrogen atoms don't form at all. Ron, that's just a lottery ticket again. Look, that you guys are talking about what is true. I'm talking about what is evidence. Yeah, I don't understand what is so hard about this simple ass distinction that you two PhD candidates uh, with doctors all these possible ways understand. That, evidence me is points in a direction, whether or not that direction is true. It you're can not reading the evidence correctly. It doesn't. The mere fact that the that the that the laws of physics turn out to have life in it doesn't indicate that there is there was something that made or selected the laws of physics. Look, in all other cases, you would you would reason this way. If you're presented with two theories which uh, purport to explain the thing that you're looking at, and one of them makes the thing you're looking at so wildly implausible, and the other one makes the thing you're looking at a result of the theory, then you pick the one that the, is the result of the theory. That what about the all the time. Those move, what about the move of the physicists that move to the multiverse, right? So well, this is the way, the, the way they want to get around this. They just say all, all possibilities are actualized. I mean, my, my best example of that is, like, I take my daughter to the shoe store, right, and she picks out a pair of shoes from the shelf she really likes, she says, Daddy, can I get these, you know? And I said, I don't know. We have to see if they have your size. They go in the back and they come out. And she's mesmerized that they have exactly the size that fits her foot. I mean, how improbable is this, that they have exactly the pair of shoes that fit her foot? But she's misunderstanding the fact that there's a warehouse full of shoes back there. And the probabilities go way up, right, once you factor in the fact that, you know, it's not one pair of shoes. There's, you know, and in this case... Exactly, but you're doing exactly what I'm talking about. You take a theory which renders what you have as probable, and mm -hmm. you pick that theory over the one which renders what you have as highly improbable. So if you're sitting at a place where their shoes are, and one theory is they magically have my shoes, and the other theory is, oh, there's a bunch of different kinds of shoes that they have, and this is one of them, then you're making it... You're going odd. So you're agreeing with me earlier, which said there's some kind of evidence here, and what you need to do is defeat it. Okay, so and, I, if you if you did agree with that, I'm not sure we agree with that, but if we yeah, did agree with that, with the multiverse, would the multiverse do away with that? Well, I don't know. So uh, first of all, there's some, there is some. I mean, this is controversial, but whether these gravitational waves are going to be uh, you know, right. hold up, but if it does hold up, um, then uh, we have what we have evidence for is uh, inflation. So, so the idea is that, um, I mean, I don't know how technical this is, but you know, the idea is that when space-time sort of blew up really fast, that there are these little quantum fluctuations which then sure. get magnified because they get blown up. And so those are the ripples, the gravitational waves, and allegedly they said, look, on a good day, if we're lucky, we might be able to predict them, I mean, detect them. Now, the weird thing about this is that they not only detected these things, but they got like the best possible evidence, like their dream evidence, like the... So that to me is always suspicious. If they say we might get some hint that this is true, and instead they find, they say, look, if we were like listing out the kind of evidence which would make us dead sure that this were true, then it would be this. And they find that that's a little bit suspicious. So I'm saying that I'm not saying that's wrong. But so if inflation is true, um, then what does that mean? Well, then that means we have evidence for inflation. Uh, yeah. Now the the thing about inflation is that it seems like once it goes, you can't stop it. So people say, well, there's, it's connected to the multiverse, but it doesn't entail the multiverse. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, 
at this point, it's it's definitely not established, and it's it, you know. But if well, even if this like new discovery is established, it doesn't yeah, establish it the multiverse. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree. And with there's that. There's, a, there's a question about how you could establish it, given that these other universes are causally isolated from us. So mm -hmm. if this is really true that there are these other universes that we can never causally interact with at all, not just that they're out of our light cone, but that they're like there's like not. They're just in, totally causally separated from any possible extension of us in this universe. Then you know how do you establish a view like that um, uh, in any serious kind of way? Yeah, I mean basically yeah. the same way you were before. With you have the footprints and you infer back to theoretical models. I mean maybe it turns out to be the best theory to account for certain events in quantum mechanics, or it turns out to be the best account to account for unification or yeah see so you're doing so again you're doing exactly what you guys were criticizing before you're saying look we have some evidence yeah, and we want to try to give a theory of my criticism we we don't have an example in which an intelligent creator created a bunch of human beings and well we, we do know yes we do we, we have created dogs uh, we guided evolution to produce many different species of dogs and so we have some evidence that intelligent intervention can create stuff um, that's usually where this gets the, the argument. I mean, look, there are two. The, the argument from uh, design is an empirical analogy based on how we build stuff, inferring from that to features of design in nature. So the whole point of the argument is that we do, in fact, have that kind of evidence. Um, it's it's in it's it's uh, evidence from our own experience in producing things. But it's, a, it's it's against the background of what usually happens. I'm sorry. Hold on. What, babe? Okay, yeah, we're going to have to be wrapping this up. Um, and we're not going to resolve this anyway, obviously. God is not <laughs> uh, dead, I thought, was the resolution. Um, well, look, the, the, my, the, my, so just to answer Gray's question, I mean, look, the same, I think the same move is gonna, always going to be pushed back, which is if you explain inflation, and if that leads to a multiverse, then you're going to ask what starts inflation. Um, if you say the next thing, you're going to ask about that thing, and there's always going to be room in there for someone to say, well... God started it, or a creator started it, or it was, because multiverse even looks more like design in my. I mean, yeah, it looks like it's something we would come up with um, as a way to do artificial sim, artificial evolution. We would have this giant simulation that just simulated all various ways things could turn out. I mean, so that seems more like uh, yeah, something. Yeah, that seems that seems to be maybe we're looking for an explanation that we shouldn't be looking for. I mean. If you, this is always going to be the case. You get to the idea like, well, we get the grand unified theory or the, the, the TOE, right, the theory of everything. The question is always going to be, why is it this theory of everything and not a different theory of everything? And that question can't be answered, but is it, is it a fault of a theory of everything that it can't answer the question of why this theory of everything? I don't personally think so. Right? Like, I think that that's the move the theist is always going to make, right? Well, you could explain the laws of nature or give a complete account of the theory of everything, but it can't explain why these laws of nature. Right. Maybe they're looking for an explanation that isn't necessarily ever going to be viable. I mean, we have like, you know, we have an incompleteness theorem in almost all of these kind of models, right? Why think that it's not acceptable to just give an explanation? Well, why we have an incompleteness theorem for human level reasoning. We don't have an incompleteness theorem for reasoning. Well, <laughs> we, what we, if, if we have an explanation, let's say, of everything, just hypothetically, we get there someday, someone will say, why this explanation? Why not another explanation? Why this theory of everything and not a different theory of everything? And that is a legitimate question, but is it a legitimate question that shows a fault in my theory of everything? No, but it, but, but my, my point, I, look, I'm defending a very simple, a, a restricted claim. My restricted claim is that there's some limited evidence for design in nature, and that it can be defeated, maybe, and I think evil does defeat it, um, but I think that the evidence is there. So, I mean, that's, I, and you can always throw a Hail Mary and say, oh, look, that evidence can be explained away, but we don't, I mean, it's like, you, I mean, the principle of sufficient reason either has to be turned out to be a cognitive illusion, um, or else there has to be the kind of answer that these guys want. I don't see how you can keep the principle of sufficient reason and and not end up with where Leibniz ended up with it. I mean, I mean, not with monads and everything, but with like a, some kind of version of uh, creator type stuff going on. Well, I think and, we. <laughs> I don't know. I think we're gonna need to leave it there soon, but. Yeah. yeah no, just, well, let's end up with me saying no. <laughs> and let's end it with me saying maybe, look, you know, you guys can say, the, the, the point is not um, that it, we're going to convert anyone, it's just that it, 
a lot of times people will close off routes to inquiry, and you're not one of them, Greg. So, but but um, I'm not accusing you or Pete or anyone in this conversation. Maybe me, I'm accusing of. Who knows? But my point is that. I, I do get the feeling when talking about these debates that, that, that people are so polarized that there's no room in the middle. Mm -hmm. And I do think that yeah. it's important for us to realize that, that Socrates said it best when he said, I know that I do not know, and mm -hmm. that humility is an attractive feature, and that these questions are hard, and nobody knows what the right answers are. Um, you may have your beliefs, and I may have mine, but I think that it's important to have this sense of of mystery and openness to these questions, but at the same time, I would guard against the idea that this means that I, you know endorsing any particular religion, which I think is you know um, a bad idea, and mostly involving mind control and societal manipulation. So I think these issues need to be very clearly separated. And while I'm I'm someone who's who wants to be open-minded about this abstract theistic question, I don't want to be open-minded about a, the religious question, which I so I guess I'll just end by saying not just flat no, but distempered maybe on the one hand and fuck off on the other hand. But what about space-time mindism? I thought we were on to a good thing there. Yes, we still have two viewers, by the way. I mean, I think we have uh, <laughs> our flock that we have to be responsible to, Richard. How did I say anything that I didn't know there were viewers, by the way? But yeah, wow, hello. Got, we have followers <laughs> of our new religion, is what I'm saying, and uh, you just pooped on all religion. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, there's going to be a schism. <laughs> That was your next move. You guys were starting a religion, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, guys, I've got to go. I'm going to see Transcendence later. Speaking of religion, enjoy Singulatarianism, Richard. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the uh, chat. I enjoyed it. Yeah, good Greg discussion, Greg. Thanks for listening to Space Time Mind. Roger Williams will be back in our next episode, and our topics then will be the technological singularity and the significance of Hannibal Lecter for the transhumanism movement. Until next time, this is Pete Mandick saying... There is no pain only soul. Bye.